once again. Uh, good morning. If you walked in a couple minutes late, I'll forgive you uh, if you don't have any idea who I am. I am Michael. I'm the lead pastor here. Thank you for joining us this morning. Um, I have one quick announcement before we get going. Uh, so coming up in a couple weeks, our, our spring semester of adult classes are kicking off. So uh, first thing, and this is, this is just for the whole church, um, first thing is this, is uh, this will be our uh, third semester of men's Bible study, fourth semester of women's Bible study. Uh, so those kick off. Uh, if you've never been to Bible study before, uh, the point of Bible study at Salt Church is... Uh, pretty much Bible study. Get you to learn how to study the Bible. Uh, we go through different parts of Scripture. Uh, we focus on one book at a time every semester. And this semester, the men and women, they'll meet separately, but yet we all study the same thing. So that's really helpful. If you're married, your wife goes to Bible study, you'll talk about the same stuff. We're going to be studying the book of Proverbs. So Proverbs is obviously wisdom literature. Uh, if you need some wisdom in your life, I know we all could use that. Proverbs is a really good book to read. Uh, so the men kick off Saturday, February 11th. So two weeks from yesterday, uh, the men meet at 7 a.m. on Saturday mornings. Uh, we see who's fully sanctified out of all the men at this church. So Saturday's at 7. Uh, and then the women will start Monday, February 13th. They, actually, they eat dinner together. The men just eat donuts. Uh, so the women start at 6. The actual study starts at 6.30, uh, but there's a potluck-type dinner every week, too. So that starts February 13th. Men are on Saturday. Women are on Monday, uh, both at Desert Springs Community Church, which is on 144th Avenue in Indian School. So my plea as your pastor, if we could get 100% of the adults in this room, 100% of the men, 100% of the women to go to Bible, Bible study, that's our goal. Uh, we're not like, let's just have 50%. No, we want everybody to go to Bible study. Uh, so if you've never done it before, uh, it's awesome. Uh, it's a lot of fun. You learn a lot. You grow a lot. Books are $15 each. Uh, so you could sign up at saltchurchaz.com slash events. Uh, if you want more information, there's a little half sheet of paper at Connect Central. You could grab one of those. Uh, but in addition to Bible study, we're also rolling out a class this semester uh, that will be taught during the 1030 service. Uh, so it starts Sunday, February 10th. It's Financial Peace University. So unless you've been living under a rock, uh, you've probably heard of Dave Ramsey. We kind of have our own version of Dave Ramsey here at Salt Church. His name's Bill Gordon. He's much cooler than Dave Ramsey. Uh, so if you have, if you want to take control of your finances, I know it's a very big thing. Uh, you could be in massive amounts of debt. You don't know how to build a budget. Uh, you don't know how to track your expenses. Maybe you're good with money and you just want to kind of know what the next step is. Uh, Financial Peace University is an awesome class that can kind of guide you the, through the whole process. Um, so this starts Sunday, February 10th uh, or 12th, whatever day that Sunday is. It lasts nine weeks total. Uh, so if you want to sign up, you can go to saltchurchaz.com slash events. Uh, if you have questions, Bill has a table with a bunch of illustrations and stuff at it. He would love to talk with you today as well. So those are all my announcements. we got a lot going on at Salt Church, and a ton of our women are up at a retreat right now. And look at that. We pulled it off today. What do you know? Um, so hey, if you have your Bibles, go ahead and turn them to Matthew chapter 5. Uh, We're in the third week of our Sermon on the Mount series. Uh, so Salt Church, 
Uh, I get asked a lot by either at like newcomers dessert, I get asked this question a lot, or just people ask me what I do for work. They'll ask, I'm like, I'm the pastor of Salt Church. They're like, what does Salt stand for? Like, they think it's an acronym. And some of you creative people have given me corny acronyms that we're never going to use. Uh, S-A-L-T, it's a word, it's not an acronym. So it's named Salt Church because mainly there's several reasons it's named Salt Church, but the main reason is this verse we're covering this morning, Matthew 5. 13. Uh, This morning, we're going to see here, during in the middle of the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus is going to ask his followers to be two things, uh, salt and light. Uh, So why is this not called salt and light, church, you ask? Uh, It's because saltandlightaz.com would have been way too long of a URL uh, to get on the internet. So we just went with salt. No, I just didn't want it to be salt and light. So uh, this morning's passage is a little bit of a continuation from last week. Uh, so if you were here last week, this will be a quick reminder. If you missed last week, uh, let me just kind of tell you what we covered. Uh, we went last week over a passage called the Beatitudes. And what the Beatitudes are are basically uh, characteristics that Jesus tells us to live a blessed life or a happy life. Uh, so just for context, I just want to read the Beatitudes yet again. Uh, so Matthew 5, starting in verse 2, uh, it says, And he opened his mouth and taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven, for so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. So that's eight characteristics that mark a Christian, eight behaviors or like character qualities, uh, essentially, that, that those of us that are Christians should have. Like, you're poor in spirit, meaning you understand you're spiritually bankrupt before the Lord. You stand there bankrupt before the Lord. You have nothing to offer God in terms of your own righteousness or your own goodness. Uh, you mourn. That doesn't mean you walk around depressed and sad. It means like you mourn over the fact that you are spiritually bankrupt, that you do have sin. Uh, you're meek, meaning you're not weak. You actually, in your relationship with others, you seek to serve other people. The world doesn't revolve around you. Uh, you hunger and thirst for righteousness, meaning you seek to, to fill yourself with the things of God rather than the things of the world. Uh, You're merciful, so you look at the wretch who's broken and not like you at all, and you have compassion upon that person. Uh, You're pure in heart, meaning that you seek the will of God in your life. Uh, You're a peacemaker, primarily meaning you're called to help bring reconciliation between the lost and with God, the ultimate peacemaker. And lastly, you're cool with being beaten up because you're a Christian. So those are kind of eight different ways that'll make you happy. So there you go. Uh, So in our text this morning, Jesus is going to transition, and he's going to give us like two different metaphors. Uh, The Beatitudes show us what the Christian is. These two metaphors then force us to consider how we then manifest ourselves as Christians in this world. Like how do we present ourselves? Uh, The Beatitudes are really good uh, general characteristics 
characteristics of good witness to Christ. But being salt and light is an actual command of Jesus to go out and be witnesses of Christ. It's one thing to act a specific way, but to follow the command of Jesus to be those things is what we need to hear this morning. And if there's one thing I want you to remember from this sermon, I want it to be this. Our job as Christians is to be salt and light to the world so that the glory of God can be seen. Uh, So we're, we're called to be salt and light, but we're not just called to be salt and light for the heck of it. Like we're called to be salt and light in this world for a reason, and that is so that the glory of God can be seen. Uh, So let me pray, and we'll go ahead and dive into this text. Uh, Father, I thank you for this morning. Uh, Lord, I thank you for this uh, sermon and uh, just the ways, Lord, you've spoken to my heart uh, all week long. Uh, God, as we leave here, Lord, let us understand uh, what you're asking us to do. And Father, let your glory be eked out of every part of our bodies as followers of you. Uh, So God, open up our hearts and minds to what you would have for us this morning as we open your word. Uh, Just speak and let your presence be felt in this place. It's in your name I pray. Amen. All right. So our job as Christians is to be salt and light to the world so that the glory of God can be seen. So the first thing we're asked to be is salt. Uh, So verse 13, Jesus says, you are the salt of the earth, but if the salt has lost its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled under people's feet. So the first metaphor that Jesus uses is salt. He tells us, like those of us that are Christians, you are to be salt to the earth. So to be salt, what are the implications of that? What exactly does that mean? Uh, In Jesus' day, there were 11 main usage of salt. Uh, But for the sake of time, we'll just talk about the two main ones. Uh, First, salt was used as a preservative. So obviously, Jesus lived in a time where there wasn't uh, refrigeration or anything like that. So salt would have to be rubbed into specific foods like meat uh, in order to preserve the food. So if you're like a hunter-gatherer type, you go shoot a deer, uh, there wasn't some deep freeze you brought that home to. You had to actually massage the meat with salt so the meat would not spoil or decay. It acted as a preservative, right? So it doesn't take a rock scientists to kind of see how the metaphor is being used by Christ. Uh, Simply enough, just look at the phrase that's used. He says, you are, the Christian is, the salt of the earth. Uh, Salt and earth are two different things. Salt is part of the earth, but it's not the earth. Uh, To add salt to meat would not make the salt meat. It would be a preservative to the meat. In the same way as Christians, you are part of the earth, but you're also called to be separate from the earth. Uh, This is a Christian being indistinguishable from a non-Christian. You should look like a Christian. Uh, We are supposed to be distinct from the world, not identical. Uh, You are in the world, but not of the world, right? You're part of it, but yet you're distinct from it. Uh, If salt is a preservative, just naturally, uh, then you can conclude that the earth would be decaying or else it wouldn't need salt, right? Uh, Our job as Christians is primarily to be preservative to a world that we look and see what's going on. We see that it's naturally just decaying and spoiling around us. Uh, But it wasn't just a preservative. Uh, Salt was also used back in that day, much as it is today, as flavor. Uh, Again, think metaphor. What's Jesus trying to say to us? Uh, A little bit of salt goes a long way. Uh, Think if you go to like a Mexican food restaurant, like a little bit of salt on your chip dipped in some salsa tastes good. 
Uh, a little bit of salt on top of a chocolate chip cookie. You can come to Newcomer's Dessert, see what that tastes like. Uh, a little bit of salt on a boneless ribeye, reverse seared, on a smoker. Bomb. I'm just telling you, you got to flavor it right. Uh, all flavor enhancements. Salt's used as a flavor enhancement. Uh, notice what is not going on here. Nobody likes too much salt. Uh, nobody likes to go to Makayo's and have the person dump like the whole salt shaker on your chips. That's disgusting. Uh, nobody just goes to the Pacific Ocean and throws their mouth in the ocean and is like, man, this tastes good. Uh, too much salt can have ill effects. There's a balance to how we are to reach this world, right? But sadly, I'm writing this sermon and I'm thinking like, I don't think many Christians nowadays need to have like the reins pulled back on their evangelism. Uh, it's actually a little bit of the opposite. Some of you need to be kicked in the rear and told like, you should be salt. Uh, that's why Jesus goes on to say, if salt's lost its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? It's no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled under people's feet. Now, don't get all crazy and think that Jesus is talking about hell. That's not what he's saying. Uh, so for salt to lose its taste, the salt would then have to be mixed in or like contaminated with something else, right? So salt was used in a specific way. If you mix it with something like sand, uh, that mixture will no longer taste like salt. The salt will be contaminated by whatever it's mixed with. Uh, so salt was used to fight deterioration. So therefore, salt itself cannot deteriorate. Uh, if you're a Christian, Yet you're contaminated with the culture. You're contaminated with the things of the world. You basically are no longer acting as a preservative or a flavor to the world around you. You've been mixed with philosophies of our day. If you were to fight deterioration, you cannot yourself be deteriorated. Uh, you're basically no longer being obedient to the, man, the command of Christ to go out and be salt, to evangelize the world. It might as well, like Jesus says, just be salt laying on the roadside that people can just walk on and you don't even notice it's there. Because once again, our job as Christians is to be salt and light to the world so that the glory of God can be seen. Uh, God's glory is shown in and through us when we act as a preservative. Uh, that's why we have the, the goofy hashtag here at Salt Church, stay salty, right? That's our job. Our job is to be salty. Uh, let God be glorified through the things that we do. Uh, God doesn't get any glory when we're acting just like the world would act. Uh, but again, our job isn't just to be salt, it's also to be light. Uh, verse 14, Jesus says, you are the light of the world. A city on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but they put it on a stand, and it gives light to all in the house. Uh, here, it's a much clearer parallel because we all know what light's used for. Uh, but notice, just as the salt is of the earth, the light is of the world. Again, it's in the world, but it's not of the world. It's in the world, but it's also distinct from the world. Uh, it's not identical to the world. It's separate. Uh, if light needs to come to the world, Jesus is then insinuating that the world is full of what? Darkness. Uh, so we are to be salt and light to the decaying and the dark world around us. Uh, fun fact about me, and I'll have like 40 dudes come up and offer to take me camping when this is over. I've never in my life been camping. 
Uh, my family just didn't get down like that. We stay in like the Hilton, okay? I've never been, other than football camp, never been out in the middle of the woods. That's just not my thing. Uh, so I read this in one of the commentaries I've been reading. You're just going to have to trust me. It's true. I'm trusting the author. Uh, apparently in Canada, uh, never been there either, uh, it's possible to go camping hundreds of miles away from any city or town, like 300 miles away from the nearest uh, city. Uh, you can camp in the middle of the woods in Canada. It's probably cold. If it's cloudy that night, uh, the blackness, the darkness is complete. Like this commentary I was reading saying, you can hold your hand like three inches from your face. You can't even see your hand. It's so dark. Uh, but if there's a city nearby, if there's a city like 100 miles from where you're laying in the middle of the forest, the darkness starts to brighten up a little bit. The darkness is relieved. Uh, the light from the city that's 100 miles away reflects off the clouds, and the night, which was once perfectly black, is no longer quite so desolate, right? It's no longer as, as black as it was. Uh, so think of that. When Jesus is saying in these words in the Sermon on the Mount, there were cities with no lights, like, there's no electricity back then. The clouds didn't have anything to reflect off. Uh, the, it was pitch black where Jesus is teaching, where Jesus lived. Uh, so this means that the city on the hill, it's not like a big old city with a bunch of lights that we would think. Uh, even though it's not like a hundred watt bulb, some little shininess or whatever, it could have just been the most faint candle in Jerusalem that day. Uh, the, the most faint candle on the house on the hill uh, made the darkness in that city more bearable. Uh, so think of it what it would mean to be the lamp that's put on a stand and gives light in the house. Uh, in the month of January in Jerusalem, where Jesus is at when he's teaching, uh, the sun rises in Jerusalem at 6.38 a.m. and it sets at 4.58 p.m. Uh, in the month of January, Jerusalem gets 10 and a half hours of daylight. Uh, in the stall house, we eat dinner at like 5.30, and that's early to eat dinner. Um, imagine cooking, doing dishes, uh, cleaning up the table, mopping the floors. That would be hard to do when you're in the pitch black, right? So just a little lamp, Jesus is saying, that's on a stand gives light to the entire house. Uh, of course you don't put the light under a basket, right? You let the light shine. Uh, there's a reason that it's put on a stand, that it's elevated above everything else with nothing blocking it. Why? So the light, as small as it might be, the light can be used then for maximum effectiveness. Uh, just as the salt is good for nothing if it's no longer salty, the light is good for nothing if it's just concealed and covered up. Uh, in the book Cost of Discipleship, Dietrich Bonhoeffer said this. He says, a community of Jesus which seeks to hide itself has essentially ceased to follow him. So if we hide ourselves as Christians, like, what are we doing? Again, the metaphor is super clear. We're to be salt of the earth. We're to be light to the world. This would, again, insinuate the world's a dark place that needs light. Uh, so no matter where you're at, darkness needs the presence of light. Uh, in the world, we're the ones that are called to shine. We're the ones that are called to be light. Uh, so Jesus finishes this metaphor in verse 16. He says, in the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. What happens if salt is added to food? It's noticeable, right? What happens if the slightest bit of light pierces a pitch black room? The room's composition starts to change. Uh, in the context of your own life, you could just ask yourself the question, 
Am I acting as salt to this world that's decaying and dying around us? Am I acting as light to this world that's a dark place? Only you know how to be honest before God and answer that question. Uh, We're called to preserve or enhance the earth. We're called to bring flavor to the earth. We're called to shine the brightness of Christ on this earth. And when that is seen, our prayer every single time is that we don't act as salt and light just so that we can get the credit. It's so that God could get the glory. Like when I stand up here on Sundays, I say this when I do announcements. Uh, My goal, like our goal, the worship team, me, our goal is for you to leave here and not say like, man, the music was good today. Or man, Michael was really good today. Last week he was boring. Today was awesome. I want you to leave here every week and be like, man, Jesus Christ is amazing. Not how great I am or the band is or Daniil reading scripture or our kids, whatever. It's man, Jesus Christ is amazing. Everything we have on this earth is given to us by him because he loves us. So in turn, it's his glory that must be seen through us. Remember, our job as Christians is to be salt and light to the world so that the glory of God can be clearly seen. Like at your core, deep down, the prayer that you should pray over your life is simply God eke out in me like every single ounce of glory that can be pulled from within me so that people can see who you are. Uh, I go on walks every day, about a 30-minute walk around the neighborhood. So if you live in this neighborhood, you see me walking and talking, I'm not talking to myself, and don't say hi to me. Um, But I walk, and I turn the corner, and every time I walk, uh, I say the same thing to start my prayer, every time. I say, God, I give my life to you. Like, I just give my life to you. I have no idea what that's going to look like a year or five years from now. And I tell God, I'm like, God, however you can flex your glory through me, just let that happen. Like, let me know. Like, let your spirit speak to me. Let me see what that is. And then let me walk in obedience so that your glory can be clearly seen. Uh, So we shouldn't strive to do the Beatitudes so others can be like, man, look how holy that guy is. Uh, No, you let the Beatitudes be markers on your life because naturally, if they are, the world around you will be a better place and the radiance and the goodness of God will be clearly seen. Uh, Have you ever wondered, why does the world seem so messed up? Like it's so messed up now than it was 10 years ago. Why is it more and more messed up? The fact that we're on the cusp of evangelical Christianity falling by the wayside in our country. Uh, I think it's because most Christians are more worried about how they can be seen, how they're perceived, what they think about issues, or what platform they can build, rather than just completely falling before the Lord, allowing God to work in and through you so he's the one that gets the glory in the first place. Uh, As Christians, a lot of us, me included, like we keep our lamps hidden under baskets. We don't care. This is just something we do on Sunday. Monday through Saturday, we just go out and we live however we want. Uh, Romans 1.20, Paul says, God's attributes are clearly seen, like since the creation of the world, God's attributes are clearly seen so that every man, Christian or non-Christian, in Phoenix, Arizona or some remote village in Africa, you can look in the sky and see that God's attributes are clearly seen so no man on this earth is without excuse. Our job as Christians is to get out of the way, but to work in such a way that we highlight the attributes of God, being loving, being kind, being merciful. We, we basically do those attributes, and that turns us into salt and light and let the people know, man, God is great. Not Michael's great or you or anything like that. It's something's different about him. 
Do do all of us live in that way? Uh, I went back and forth on whether I should tell this story or not, because I don't want uh, this story to be about, like, look at what Michael's doing or look at his good works. Uh, So I prayed a lot this week that when I say this, it would just be taken in the right way. Um, Just to start, as your pastor, I'll be very transparent with you. Uh, Ephesians 4.11, Paul gives like a criteria, five different things, uh, gifts that God gives believers that equip the saints. So you guys would be the saints, that, that God's given us like five different gifts if you're in ministry uh, to equip the congregation for the work of Christ. Uh, so here's the five different offices that, that Paul says. He says he's given some to be apostles. That's like proclamation of the word. Uh, he's called some to be prophets. Don't get weirded out by that word. Uh, evangelists is the third thing. That's like sharing your faith. Uh, then there's shepherds, uh, people who just will walk hand in hand with the congregation. And then lastly, there's teachers, people who teach the word of God. Uh, so ranking those things one to five for me, uh, the evangelism one is probably fifth. Uh, It's last. Like my whole life, it's been this way. I've been a Christian since I was a little kid. Uh, Sharing my faith has always made me nervous. Uh, I don't think I'm good at it. Uh, I feel like if I say something wrong, uh, my deepest fear in evangelism is that I'll destroy a relationship or I'll lose a friend. Uh, So for like the first 33 years of my life, for reference, I'm 35, uh, I would just simply be disobedient to God. I wouldn't do it. Uh, My old pastor always used to say, like, Michael, who are you talking to about Christ? I could never answer that question for him. Uh, But here's what I do know how to do. Uh, Here's what I am comfortable with. Again, I pray every day, like, God, just let your glory be shown through me. And what do you know? When you pray a prayer like that, if you ask God about that, uh, God usually will work things in you to kind of force you in those situations. And guess what? He's the one in control. You're not the one who has to have all the right words to say. we got this thing called the Holy Spirit that guides us. Uh, A couple weeks ago, the first sermon in January, I put a picture up here of my neighborhood. Um, And I had like green checks for the Christians on my cul-de-sac and then red X's for the non-Christians. I take that seriously. Like uh, you can ask my wife, my old neighborhood, I used to have a spreadsheet and I stalked people in the neighborhood to figure out what their names were. And they were all on this spreadsheet and I just pray for the people. Um, So I told you, I live in between uh, two atheists, uh, well, a bunch of atheists because there's a bunch of people that live in the house, just atheist households, okay? Uh, On the corner, I'm the second house in on a cul-de-sac. My neighbors are named Steve and his wife is named Lorna. Uh, When they moved in, I was told they don't want to live next to you uh, because you're a pastor. And I was like, what is that supposed to mean? Um, So I've treaded kind of lightly with them. I've just tried to get to know them. I'm always out kind of in my front yard. We work out in our garage, and then Steve, my neighbor, is constantly doing like landscaping in his front yard. So naturally, Steve and I just talk to each other. I'm a talkative guy, so is he. Uh, So one day I was mowing my lawn, and he came over and just started talking to me, and he told me um, that he had some lesions in his brain. And so I, I just felt compelled in that moment. Like I, I was talking to him. I could see he was worried about it. I just said, Steve, I want you to know uh, whatever it's worth to you, man, I'll be praying for you, uh, that God would heal your brain. And he didn't really respond to that. Uh, so he went to have surgery October 25th, I think it was. Uh, first week of December, uh, I hadn't seen him. And his wife pulled in the garage. I asked her, uh, I said, hey, Lorna, uh, how's Steve doing? And she, uh, she walked over by me in my yard, and I kind of met her halfway, and she said, he's not doing good. Uh, when they went to do the brain surgery, he had a stroke in the middle of surgery. They had to take out, like, the frontal lobe in his brain. Uh, he now has to learn how to talk, walk, everything again. 
And she's just crying. And in that moment, like, it's not hard for me, again, because God's gifted me in specific ways to just kind of put on the pastor hat. You know, I'm just looking at her. I'm like, Lorna, like, like I would tell any of you, God will bring Steve home. Like, you have to have hope. Like, you have to be filled with hope. And uh, I said, Lorna, can I pray for you? And she goes, why, why wouldn't I want you to pray for me? I said, well, I was told that you didn't want to live next door to me because I'm a pastor. And she goes, well, we're atheists, but like, whatever. If you think you could pray to your God and he could heal Steve, pray to him. And so I was like, all right. So I put my arm around her neck and I just started praying. And I just like went for it. She didn't know what I'm saying. I'm like, God save Steve's soul, like all this stuff, like going for it, right? She's like weeping the entire time. Um, went inside after I prayed for her. I went upstairs and told my wife, I go, Kristen, I just got to pray with the neighbor. Like, that's a big deal for me. Um, and Kristen's like, seriously? I go, yeah. I text Bill and Charlene, who lead our prayer team. And I just said, can you pray for my neighbor, Steve, uh, that God would save his soul? Um, I went to Fry's, driving down 189th Lane. I, I remember specifically praying to God, like, God, I don't know what hospital he's in. I don't know what kind of bed he's in, anything like that. God, can you just let him feel your presence in any specific way? God, just let him know if he's atheist, just let him know that you're there, that your spirit's palpable in rooms when we pray to you. And so that's just what I prayed, and I just continued to pray. Uh, so a couple Fridays ago, she sends me a picture of Steve. He finally got home, uh, shaved his head. He still has more hair than I do. Um, he sent me a picture of him drinking a beer and eating pizza. And I just said, awesome, he's home. You guys need anything, let me know. She goes, well, he wants to talk to you. And uh, I said, okay, well, I'm getting over a cold. I'll go over there like when I'm feeling better. I don't want to get him sick. Uh, so I tell Kristen, I'm like, the neighbor, Steve, wants to talk to me. And she's like, oh, man. Like, I wonder if, like, she told him that you prayed for him. I was like, he probably wants me to mow his lawn. Like, there's nothing going on, right? Um, so last Sunday, uh, Kristen went to a birthday party. I didn't go. I was home, and instead of watching football, I felt God tell me, go over there. Just knock on the door, see what he wants. Uh, I'm thinking he's going to put me to work. I walk in their house, and he's sitting there. He's paralyzed on his left side of his body, and he's sitting in a recliner, drinking a glass of wine, and he says, Michael... And he grabs my hand. I'm going to try not to get emotional saying this. He grabbed my hand and he says to me, Michael, I want you to know like how much I thank you. And I'm like, for what? And he said, I spent a long time in that hospital and I had massive vertigo. I laid on my back and I would look at the ceiling and in Spanish it was written, do not fall. And that's all I could see. Anytime I would sit up, I was dizzy. I couldn't do anything. I couldn't think. I was thinking about my own mortality. I just didn't know what to do. I was scared. And then I would think about I want to go home. I want to be with my wife. I want to be at my house. And every time I would think about my house, I would see you in your front yard mowing your lawn. And it reminded me of that day where you told me that you would pray for me. And in that moment, when I would see you in my mind, there was something that came over me in that moment. There was like this overwhelming amount of calm. There was this overwhelming amount of peace. There was an overwhelming amount of joy that I had within me in that moment every time I thought of you. And I'm sitting there like, that's the Holy Spirit, dude. Like, that's what I prayed for. Like, that's legitimately when I wrote, I, that road right out there, rode down it. God, give him peace, give him calm, give him all those things. And he said that he went home that Friday. He told the nurse, he said, I get to go home to my loving wife and my pastor that lives next door. 
Guys, I don't say that to be like, look at me. It is like amazing to me that God is working in that way with my next door neighbor. The irony is it's my other neighbor who's my one. But this is the one that God's allowed me to like walk through a door because simply I pray, God, I wanna be obedient to you. I do wanna act as salt and light. I'm the pastor of Salt Church. If anyone's gonna do it, it should probably be me. So that's what I'm saying. When you pray to God that he will open opportunities for you to work, God will work. You just have to listen to him and be obedient to him. It's not me that's going to carry the weight of evangelism. It's all of us in this room. So what's the application to this passage? Uh, What does this mean if you're a Christian? Uh, Step number one application is that your faith isn't supposed to be private. Uh, these aren't suggestions by Jesus to be salt and light. He's commanding you to be salt and light. Our purpose in life is to show his glory. We cannot, as Christians, be willing to keep that hidden. Church, the only way the world is going to change around us is if we actually do what Jesus Christ is asking us. So if this is connected to the Beatitudes, like how does that make any sense? If we're to go out and make a dent to be salt and light on this earth, what are the weapons at our disposal? If all of us, the hundred and whatever that are in here right now, if we're an army, what's the mental makeup of us as an army? We are meek. Like what? Like we're poor in spirit. We mourn. Not like we show no mercy. No, we show mercy. Uh, We strive for peace, not war, but yet we'd be the worst army in the world. Uh, That sounds like the softest military. God doesn't need you to be strong. God doesn't work through your strength. God doesn't work through your righteousness. Look at all the examples of Jesus Christ talking about the kingdom of heaven. What is the kingdom of heaven like? It's like yeast. You know how small yeast is? It's like a mustard seed. You ever held one in your hand? Jesus Christ doesn't need you to be captain evangelism. He doesn't need you to be strong. He just simply needs you to be obedient to what he's commanding you to do. So in closing, like, what's this mean if you're not a Christian? If you're in here and you've heard all this about salt and light, maybe you're just like my neighbor. I don't know. I spent a lot of time this week thinking and praying, what's the implication of this if you're not a Christian? And when I say you're not a Christian, let me just qualify that. It means that you either openly reject Christ or you're just pretty much apathetic to him. Uh, There's not even a flicker of light in you. Uh, You have no desires that burn for him, so you may label yourself a Christian, uh, but there's no fruit in your life. In that case, you need to get that figured out. You need to get that straight with God. Or just simply, if you died today and you're not real sure where you would end up, I would say you're probably not a Christian. Uh, Remember, our job as Christians is to be salt and light to the world so that the glory of God can be clearly seen. Uh, This morning, we've seen Jesus drawing a line of separation between salt and earth, right? Between light and the world. If you are not a Christian in this room, you are the earth. You are the world. You, as you sit in that seat, are decaying. Inwardly, you're full of darkness. So how do you reconcile that? Like, how do you fix that thing? Uh, The old theologian Martin Luther just used to use this example. He talked about a man that was terminally ill. He knew he was going to die. And this man went to the doctor. The doctor told him, I have a medicine that can cure your illness. Literally, the instant the man took the medicine that the doctor gave it to him and he swallowed it, the man would be made well. So what did he do? The mortally ill man looked at the doctor and he said, well, of course, give me that medication. He took the medication, it passed his lips, it entered his body, immediately the man was made well. 
That's what's called in Christian terms the doctrine of justification. So if you're not a Christian in this room, imagine yourself sitting in a courthouse. All the sins you've ever committed are just scrolling on this screen behind you. You've thought this way, you've done this, you've done this. You're guilty of all those sins. You're decaying. You are full of darkness. But yet the judge walks in, he's ready to read your sentence on everything you're guilty of. Suddenly he bangs his gavel, you're innocent. The screen just shuts off. You can't see your sins anymore. There's nothing more to read because somebody else took all those sins that were on the screen, put it on his account, paid for him himself. Someone else took all the darkness, all the decay that's in your life, and then he placed it on himself so that you, as you sit there today, can be made light. That's Jesus Christ. That's the good news for you this morning. You no longer have to walk in darkness. You no longer have to walk around like, I feel broken, I feel like I'm decaying. You no longer have to live that way because Christ saved you from that. So this morning, just a simple invitation, would you give your life to him? Would you trust him? Would you allow him to enter your life so that your life is no longer full of darkness? Uh, Just think, and maybe it means nothing to you right now that this morning could be step one in your life of God extracting his glory through you. Uh, We're going to take communion this morning as a church. And as we take communion, hopefully you grabbed, I forgot to announce this, but uh, you grabbed the elements on your way in. Uh, but just communion's a time where all of us as Christians can sit and reflect. Uh, we do communion a little bit different here at Salt Church. We don't take it together. Um, the band will come up after I pray. They'll play music for like four minutes. Um, you can take communion at any point. You can do it on your own. Um, what we do during communion, obviously, it's a time where we observe the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Uh, the fact that his body was broken for us on the cross. The fact that his blood was poured out for us on the cross. And it gives us a time to sit and pause before we take it. That we don't rush to the table and just try to figure out uh, how quickly we could take communion. But instead, God, what, what do you need to change in me? Uh, like, Lord, what are the things in me that I need to repent of? What are the, the areas in my heart that are dark that I need to clearly see and follow you? Uh, so how that's going to work is uh, I'm going to read a, a text from the Apostle Paul, uh, and then whenever you're ready in the next few minutes, you can go ahead and take communion. Uh, hey, if you're not a Christian, uh, we just ask that you do not take communion with us this morning. Uh, if you want to know more about Jesus Christ, uh, if you have anything that we can pray with you for, Uh, right after I walk off this stage, I'll be standing over by the prayer sign. You can come talk to me or anybody else who is standing there today. Uh, Let me read this text by Paul, and then we will take communion. Uh, 1 Corinthians 11, 23 through 29, Paul says, For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the night when he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way also he took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Whoever therefore eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty concerning the body and blood of the Lord. Let a person examine himself then, and so eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For anyone who eats and drinks without discerning the body eats and drinks judgment on himself. Let me pray. Father, we're grateful for how great you are. Uh, Lord, the things that uh, Jesus said that day in that sermon, God, the command to be uh, both salt and light. Uh, Lord, I pray for uh, those of us in this room that we would follow that command and be obedient to it. 
Uh, God, I just pray that you would stir up us in a, in a spirit that we can just be bold about who we are. Uh, Lord, that we could push back darkness, that we can uh, prevent decay. Lord, that you would just send us out to be salt and light on this earth. So, Lord, as we take communion, I pray that you show us just the things that are hurdles in our life that are getting us further and further away from you. God, let us lay our life down and just ask for your glory uh, to be worked in and through us. And, God, I pray for the people in this room that are far from you. Uh, God, that your spirit would be present in this place. God, that your Holy Spirit would just be the forerunner to everything. God, that you would minister in this place. Uh, Lord, that we can see that you sent your son to sacrifice all this on the cross so that we might have life. And God, I pray that just your Holy Spirit works in a powerful way this morning as we sing to you and we worship you uh, and take communion. So God, I just give today to you. Uh, Lord, just minister, um, just work in this room. I uh, lay these things at your feet. It's in your son's name I pray, amen.